the last several weeks, we, uh, we started a series on our DNA of our church, and we think it's important that we continually go through this. So for a total of seven weeks, we're working through our mission and the six core values that we have on those windows right back there, uh, because we want you to understand what we're all about as a church. Uh, some of you are seeking and praying and thinking through, uh, is this the place you want to be? And so it's a great opportunity for us just to lay out, this is what matters most to us as a church. And so we talked about our mission a few weeks ago. Our mission is what? To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you say making disciples is our mission, I will correct you and say first and foremost, we're all about God's glory. Right? We don't want the attention to be on man. We don't want the attention to be on us. We want God to be glorified. We want God to be lifted up. I don't want you coming and saying, Ben Hurd is awesome. Our elders are awesome. We want you to come here and we want you to leave saying, our God is awesome. That's really what matters most to us. I don't, I don't care what you think of me as long as you glorify the Lord and want God to be glorified in your life. And so even this morning we declared Christ be magnified. That's, that's what we declare and that's what we want. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about bold preaching. We talked about the fact that it's expository and applicational. Uh, expository being that whatever the main te- reason of the text, the main point of the text should be the main point of the sermon. And so usually we're working through a book. During this season, we're kind of jumping around a little bit from Scripture to Scripture. But most of our time in preaching will be going through the Bible. But whenever we open up God's word, the main point of the text that the writer had should be the main point of the preacher. And not only that, but we want it to be applicational. I don't want you to walk out of this room and you have a ton of knowledge in your head. Oh, yeah, I know all these facts. That's great. We don't want a, a church full of Bible fatheads. <laughs> We want you to take it home. We want you to apply it to your life because God has given us this gift of his word. And the application may look like we know God deeper. There's a truth about God that I needed to understand and believe in. Uh, Maybe it leads to action where I need to put off something and put on something else. But we want bold preaching to be applicational. And if you remember in that sermon, we talked about the fact that uh, it's gospel-centered. What makes preaching bold? It's not about the preacher. It's about the message of the preacher. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. Last week we hit sincere worship. And we talked about how we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And it's this balance. It's this blend of these two. And and sometimes we can get off track where we want to make it all about emotional. All I care is that as I go and I'm jazzed. I don't care what I'm jazzed about. I just want to be jazzed. (laughs) Well, if that is not grounded in truth, then we are going to lead ourselves down a path that is going to be destructive, and it's not going to be helpful for us. So we worship in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we can get obsessed with truth, can't we? To the point where we're looking to criticize every single line of every single song that we sing. And can't you, isn't it true that you can take any scripture out of context? And we can take any, any song out of context. And, and so we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Our emotions matter, but only as they are grounded in the truth of God's word. If we value truth but we're unmoved by the truth, something's wrong with our heart. We worship in spirit and in truth. Today we're going to talk about fervent prayer, dependent and expectant. We'll get into that more. Uh, Next week we'll hit purposeful discipleship. You know, our goal for every person who says, this is my church home, we want you to be more like Christ year after year after year. If you come in here and you look no different 
a year from now than you do today. Something's wrong. We want to see you grow in Christ. And we believe that community matters and that God calls us to connect ourselves to a community where we can be known and we can know others. Purposeful discipleship. Then we're going to hit into courageous evangelism. Courageous evangelism, not only through word, but also in deed, right? Our life should reflect the gospel. And, our, and people, when they hear the message from us verbally, they should be able to tie it in and say, yes, this is exactly the way they're living as well. And so we'll talk, about, we'll talk about the fact that each and every one of us is called to be an evangelist. If we call ourselves a believer, that is for each and every one of us. And then lastly, we'll hit strategic church planting. So for those of you who may be unfamiliar with, with who we are as a church, we were planted out of Gospel City Church in Granger. And so we have benefited from strategic church planting. And Lord willing, I would love to be a part of planting churches. Uh, I, I don't really have a desire to grow this thing into a mega church. What, my prayer is if God would choose to bring people here, that if we have 100 people coming from North Elkhart, and this is kind of a ways, well, let's plant a church in that area. And let's, let's grow a church there where the people can be more where they live and they can reach those around them. That would be my desire. If the Lord doesn't do that, I just want to be faithful to the message. And regardless, I want to be helping other churches plant in other countries. Uh, if you remember the Pattons coming here, uh, we talked to, they, they're missionaries in Hungary. And so some of churches in other countries just are not as financially able to sustain themselves like we might be able to because of the blessings of living in our country. And so those are our values. But for this morning, uh, let's, let's look into fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. And when it comes to prayer, there are a few things in our Christian walk that lead to condemnation like prayer. Isn't that true? Like whenever you talk about prayer, one of my first reactions is like, oh man, I just don't pray enough. And it's really kind of a cultural thing, too, isn't it? Like, anytime something bad happens or there's something major going on in society, people will say, oh, I, my thoughts and prayers go to you. Or even with the president having COVID now, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And what does it mean by prayer? What exactly is that? Very simply, it's this. It's listening and talking with God. That's it. It's a two-way conversation with the Lord, between us and God. It's not just talking to him about things. It's not just requesting things from him, but rather it's interaction that goes both ways. He's given us his word. Part of our prayer life should be involvement in his word so that we can hear from the Lord. And, and when we pray, we focus on different things, don't we? We focus on praising God for who he is. We confess our sins. That's how we even come to the Lord. It comes through the confession that, Lord, I am not worthy. I am separated from you because of my sin. But not only that, we live this life of repentance, don't we, of confession of sin on a regular basis. And there's also times where we intercede, whether it be on behold of our own needs or the needs of those we encounter or even the troubles that we face in the world, we come with intercessory prayers to the Lord and then we also give thanks back to him for his goodness. Now certainly, we could spend a lot of time on prayer. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks. And so this is not meant to be an exhaustive sermon on prayer, but rather just some key components of what 
what does fervent prayer look like exactly? So let's break that down. I have five main points here that we're going to talk about when it comes to fervent prayer. And I, usually, I like to camp out in one book. But we're going to look at a lot of scriptures because there's not really one particular passage of scripture that talks about prayer. So, so we're, you're going to get an overload of scripture. I'm going to have most of it on the screen for us to behold. But let's talk about fervent prayer. And first of all, fervent prayer is dependent. Fervent Prayer is dependent. Now this is first and foremost, in my understanding, the greatest understanding we need to have when it comes to prayer. Is that we are utterly dependent on the Lord. Amen? Even yesterday we looked at John 15 for the men who were here yesterday morning talking about abiding in the Lord. And Jesus says this, I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One reason why we don't pray is because we don't understand how dependent we are. We don't realize that we we can't really do anything effective long-term for the kingdom of God Apart from him, working through us. This is foundational to our faith of understanding I am absolutely dependent on the Lord. And that can be a problem living in America, can it? Because we have this me, I, central to the person theology and understanding. Like we we think we can handle it all. And, And it infiltrates for us even in the church where we think, well, I got this. I don't need to bring anybody else involved in my life because I can handle this, especially us as men. We have this mentality of I, I can handle this. I don't need anybody, any help. But we need to come to understand we are dependent. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Look at Romans 8.26. Even when it comes to our prayer, often we don't even know what to pray for when we pray. And this again shows our dependence on the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. In our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We are dependent on the Lord. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, turn real quick to to Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms. I, I love this. This speaks again to our need for him. We all have moments where we just can't handle life. Like it's just too much for us. Psalm 121, I picture the psalmist just being overcome with what's before him. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? And so I picture him. He's got this mountain in front of him. And he's like, I got to get to the other side. I think for for us, what's a mountain in your life right now where this just seems like it's unbearable. I can't get past this. How am I going to get through this? My loved one is sick. I can't find work. I can't support my family. How am I going to get over this hill? How am I going to get over this mountain? Where does my help come from? And the psalmist reminds him and reminds us in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. (laughs) That is no small thing. 
Where does our help come from? It comes from the one, oh, by the way, he made heaven and earth. <laughs> when we walk outside, we see the rain, we see the trees and the flowers and the plants. We're reminded that's not man-made, that's God-made. God is in control of all things. Where does our help come from in our time of need? It comes from the Lord. We are dependent. So what exactly does it mean to be dependent? Here's some things to help you think about way, other ways that we're dependent. Think of a, a newborn child that cannot exist on its own outside of the womb. It needs its mother to nurture it, to feed it, to care for it, to love them. Or how about a patient with a broken arm? Any, anybody just kind of take care of that yourself? Or are you, are you kind of dependent on the doctor to take care of you, to make sure it's set right? Do we, do we need surgery or is a cast going to be enough? Like you need to go to somebody because we're dependent on physicians to know what they're talking about and to be able to get us back on our feet and get us back into a healthy place where we can function as we once did before that. How about someone jumping out of an airplane? What are they dependent on? <laughs> a parachute, right? I, I trust that parachute is going to, to open when I pull the chute. And, and really, what, as I was thinking through this, like what, what are some other analogies of dependence? And I got to thinking about our dependence on smartphones. How many of you have a smartphone? Just, probably just about every one of us. So, Here's, here's a couple words for you to think about, a couple thoughts for you when it comes to how dependent we are on smartphones in today's world. Do you know what nomophobia is? It's the fear of going without your phone. You ever, you ever have that? Like rarely, that's one reason why though I love my wife because she, she forgets her phone all the time and I call her during the day and often she doesn't have it with her. Uh, but for me, I can't walk out the door unless I have my phone on. Like where is it? I got to go get it. Like constantly looking for it. So if you have the fear of losing phone, losing, uh, going without your phone, you have nomophobia. Here, here's, a, here's another word for you. Textophrenia. You know what that is? You could probably figure it out, right? It's the fear that you can't send or receive texts. <laughs> you ever have that? My phone's broken. I can't send a text. What am I going to do? And then there's uh, this other thing. Have you ever had this? Phantom vibrations. Where you're like, wait, was that my phone? No, that wasn't. And it's just a matter of like turning and, and your phone rubs against your side. And was, was that, no, that wasn't, that wasn't anything. That was just me imagining. So listen to this statistic. This is nuts. This is crazy. The average touches a person has on their phone in a day is 2,617. That's just the average. The average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. And the average a person is on their phone in a day is two and a half hours. So we are just literally on our phones for two and a half hours. And if you think about this, it's, it's true for most of us. All the time that we're, how many of you find yourself looking at your phone and maybe your spouse or somebody's asking, what are you doing on your phone? I'm like, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I'm not sure how it got there. It just kind of showed up. We have this dependence on our phone. But think about it this way. What if we grew in that kind of dependence on the Lord? Where it's all of a sudden we find ourselves praying. Because that's just how dependent we are on the Lord. 
What are you doing? I'm praying. Why are you praying? I, that's just my nature. My nature now is just to run to the Lord. I can't help but run to him because I am so dependent on him. I can't function in life unless I have fellowship and communion with him. What would life look like if we were that dependent on the Lord? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes the Lord has to get our attention, doesn't he? And, I, and I'm reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians. No need to turn there. I'll read it for you. But if you want to mark it down, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. I love this passage because uh, you, you ever get tempted to look at Paul and think like he was just this superhuman Christian? Like, I, there's no way I could be like him. Like, he had everything going. He always did the right thing. But Paul actually struggled with hope sometimes. Look at what it says here, 2 Corinthians 1. Let me set the picture for you. So, so, so Paul is, is even sharing with them, like, hey, guys, I want you to be mindful that life wasn't always so great. Verse 8 says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia so, so Paul was one that was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, he was in prison over and over again. He, was, he, he just faced so much persecution because he followed Christ. And he didn't just do it with this like happy heart, with a smile on his face, and like this is easy. Like he struggled. And he doesn't want the brothers to be unaware of the afflictions. He goes on to say in verse 8, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So even Paul, somebody that we would look up to, despaired of life, didn't want to live any longer because of the things that he's going through. So there's great hope for each and every one of us. If the apostle Paul felt that way, then surely we shouldn't be surprised when we face that. But Paul understood what was going on. He goes on in verse 9 and says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <laughs> I love that. Because he doesn't just say that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He actually adds those last few words, which the same with the psalmist in Psalm 121. Oh, by the way, this is not just any God. This is the God, the one who can raise the dead. You don't need to fear death. You don't need to worry about if you receive the sentence of death. You don't have to worry about if COVID-19 takes your life. I've defeated death. But sometimes God needs to bring us through a season because we need to realize that we are dependent on the Lord. And when he does that, that is absolutely his grace, isn't it? Because we will learn to pray more the more we realize how dependent we are on him. Fervent prayer is dependent. Second thing. Fervent prayer is persistent. Fervent prayer is persistent. Now turn to Luke chapter 18. And if you've been with us a, a long time, we, we've gone through this. Uh, we went through Luke before we launched Autonomous. But Luke 18, I love, I love this widow. I love this story, this parable of this relentless, relentless widow. Look, look at verse 1 in Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I love that. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so the whole point of this is like, be like the widow. Come to me over and over and over again. But here's the thing. God is not like this judge, is he? God doesn't get annoyed with us. I, I fully believe that. I fully believe God does. <sighs> ben keeps asking me for these things over and over again. I'm tired of this. I'm done with him. He doesn't get annoyed. The picture is, like, that's the, the more vigilant somebody is in making requests, the more likely it may happen. It's, the point is, Jesus says, don't give up. Keep coming to me over and over and over again. Be persistent. You ever been around kids who, who keep asking for things? <laughs> or for you parents, have you ever told your kids that you're going somewhere, like the zoo, or you're going on vacation, and it's like three weeks out? And every single morning, hey, are we going on vacation today? No. It's in three weeks. Are we going on vacation today? No. The, the obsession right now with my kids is gum. Any, any, anybody have, <laughs> like you have a pack of gum, and it's like, can I have gum? And Harper, our, our youngest daughter, she's like, later? Later? We'll see. Yes. I didn't say yes. I said later, maybe. I said, we'll see. But it, it does get to the point where she is so persistent. I'm like, fine, take the gum. I'm tired of you asking. And what Jesus is trying to say, what, what God wants us to know is that I'm not going to be fed up with your prayers. Keep coming to me over and over again. Are they not getting met? Are your knees not getting met? Keep coming to me. Are you, are you not finding what you need? Keep coming to me over and over and over again. Be persistent. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Like how dependent we are with the phones, may God change us to be that dependent on the Lord where we are constantly just having a conversation with him. That our reactions to any needs that come up, to any, any reasons to praise come up, we're, all just, we're just constantly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. We're never independent of God. So therefore, let us keep praying. Let us keep going to him relentlessly. Pray without ceasing. If you look on uh, the picture back there underneath fervent prayer, you see Ephesians 6.18 is listed. It says this, praying at all times in the spirit. We should be persistently in prayer. So let me ask you, is that the way you pray? When you have a need that you're just convinced this, this, this has to be met, God has to meet this, do you persistently go to the Lord over and over again? Maybe it's over your kids, and one of them in particular just 
won't change. Or maybe somebody has, has strayed, from, has strayed from the Lord, is walk, not walking with the Lord. You persistently go after them. Maybe your job, every single morning you wake up, you're dreading walking into that place of business. And Lord, please, change my heart or change my job. Don't give up. Keep persistently praying. And I think this ties in with the next one as well. Fervent prayer is not only persistent, but it's trusting. Fervent prayer is trusting. So turn back a few pages to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 9 says this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Fervent prayer is trusting, understanding that God knows better than we do, doesn't he? He knows ultimately the only need we have is him. Do you realize that? Do you realize that we don't really need food? We don't really need financial protection. Now, you, you may argue you need it to survive in this world. To a certain degree, yeah, sure. But ultimately, the only thing that we need is Christ. God knows exactly what we need so that we, we come to him, and maybe we don't get exactly what we want. We trust in him knowing that he knows what is best for us. And oftentimes, what's best for us is to not give what we're asking for. Because it leads us to depend on him. Turn to James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. So James kicks off. Brad preached through uh, the first couple verses of James a while back. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops steadfastness. And then he goes on in verse 5 of James chapter 1, and he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all, he do- in, in all his ways. And so this particular request, if you lack wisdom, and certainly in all of life we need wisdom, don't we? Lord, give me wisdom to understand what's going on. When we ask, believe without doubting. The one who doubts, he, he is. He's like just the picture of the waves of somebody bouncing back and forth on the waves. There's no stability at all. It's always up and down. And what Jesus is calling us to do is trust me. Trust that I know what is best for you. Ask and believe without doubting. I'll give you exactly what you need. And then my, 
don't, you don't need to turn here, but Romans 8, I just love Romans 8. You've heard me say it. We've already shared one verse today. I feel like I'm in Romans 8 every week here, and it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest chapters in the Bible. But Romans 8, 28 says this. There's, there's like this new perspective, of tr- a different perspective. So we trust God to give us what we want, but we also trust God not to give us what wouldn't be good for us. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for our good. The job that you hate, God's working it for your good. The people, the broken relationships in your life, God is working that for your good. It it reminds me, uh, so we're renting a house right now because Elkhart's ridiculous with housing. Have you noticed that? It's nuts. And so we, we moved out here last, when was it? So last summer, right? And we went from one rental, and we looking for houses. We had an offer on a house, and there was like 50,000 offers on it, and they didn't take ours. And so we ended up renting another house. But there was a certain house in this one neighborhood that would have been perfect for our family. And we prayed and prayed. And I had one of those moments. You ever have one of those moments where you're just, you were like 100% convinced God's going to work this out? Like you, you are, I mean, I remember praying in my office in Granger, believing fully, God, I think you're going to do this. I think you're going to open up the door for this house. And I felt so strongly about it that I even journaled. Like I can't wait to journal this and see it work out so that I can say, Nikki, ha, look, before it happened. And then it never happened. And I had a choice to make. Am I going to be one that trusts that God is working this for my good? Or am I going to be one who throws up my hands and I can't get a stinking house in this place? How, I, here I am. I moved my family out of Granger where Costco and Chick-fil-A are. <laughs> out here. You're not going to take care of me? At least bring a Chick-fil-A here. Amen? Can I get an amen? <laughs> but I was reminded of Romans 8.28 that, you know what, Lord? You're working all this for my good. I can rest in you. And I don't know why, and I may never know why. Maybe that house is going to have lots of financial issues down the road. And even so, if not, you're still good. And so I can trust you. I can trust you. Now, lest you think I am this amazing person of faith, that doesn't always work that way. I have my moments where I'm more like my four-year-old child who didn't get gum when they wanted to. However... God wants to teach us to trust him. Fervent prayer is trusting. Here's the next one. Fervent prayer is bold. Not only are we about bold preaching, but we're also about bold praying. Fervent prayer is bold. Look at what Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says. You've heard me say this the last few uh, weeks after the sermon. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see that first Line, doesn't that kind of blow you away? Now to him 
who is able to do what? Far more abundantly. Not like a little bit more. Hey, I can actually up it a little bit. <laughs> no. Y- your prayers, you think they're bold? I can do far more abundantly than anything you could possibly ask or think. Does that not blow you away? And so we, we come to him, and sometimes we're afraid to ask the big stuff because we're like, oh, that's not going to happen. And what he's saying is, come, bring it. I'm God. I could do far more than your greatest prayers. That blows my mind. I can't outpray God to a point where that's something too much for him to handle. God wants us to pray boldly. I, I remember um, when we moved from, we, so we lived in South Bend for a while, and then I was in ministry at a different church, and God moved us to Illinois for about four years where I did different work. I wasn't in ministry anymore. Did water restoration work. Life got crazy. We moved back here, became part of uh, Gospel City. It was Harvest Bible Chapel at the time in Granger. And there was like six or 700 people at the time. And I still had a heart for ministry, but like we prayed and we thought, you know what, the gospel's being preached here. This is a place I want my kids to grow up in. And so we're going to stay here, and I'm probably done with ministry because there's no way that they're going to notice me in the midst of six or 700 people. But the more we were there and we had talked with the pastor, the more convinced I'm like, Lord, I really feel like this is where you have us. And I really feel like ministry is not out of the picture. And so we began to boldly pray that God would open the door for us. And Nikki really specifically was praying hard. And she, was, she just felt like somehow Pastor Trent, he's the senior pastor over there, like his eyes weren't turned to me. And, that. and so Nikki just was boldly praying, Lord, turn his eyes to Ben. Turn his eyes to Ben. And so it was a long process of this praying. This doesn't happen like a week later. This was like, a, it, was, it was like an eight or nine month process of praying through this. And so, and even Nikki was praying, God, would you just help me to understand that you hear my prayers so that I, I can just give you praise back. And so I felt like that was a pretty bold, specific prayer. And so I get a call from Matt Mendenhall. He used to be the executive pastor over there. And he says, hey, like, we're down to two applicants. You are the strongest. And so we want to keep pursuing. The elders want to meet with you and go deeper into interviews. And then he said this. He said, yeah, I don't know why, but like Trent just said, we need to have our eyes on Ben. And when we, bold, when we pray bold prayers like that and God answers them, what does that do for our faith? Doesn't it deepen it to be like, wow. You don't walk away thinking, see, I prayed and that's what God did. You walk away amazed that God would do that. But he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Turn to Hebrews 4. This is another favorite passage of mine. Hebrews chapter 4. We come to him. We can ask bold prayer requests, but even just in the act of coming to him, we can be bold. Sometimes we feel like we have to have it all together. Like somehow, I don't have it all together I screwed up. I'm saying I'm a Christian, but look what I did this week. And so I got I to gotta take some time away from God before I can come back to him so I get myself worthy. And that's like the most ridiculous thing in the world because we can't come to God with our good works anyway. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. So why would that be any different for his kids to come to him? Look what Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 has to say. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. You see that? One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. Anybody in a time of need this morning? Anybody never or not in a time of need? How can we approach the throne of grace? Do we come cowering? Do we come like, okay, if I have a good day today, I can go to him tonight. Jesus said, man, if you screwed it up big time right now, come to me right now. Come to me. I understand. I have compassion for you. I was tempted in every way, yet I was without sin, and therefore you can come to me. I'm the one you should come to. Don't run to those other things that you try to run to to escape the world. Come to me to escape the world. We can approach his throne with confidence. So what is keeping you from running to him? Do you lack faith? We've looked at that God said, I'm able to do far more abundantly than anything you can ask or think anyway. You need your faith to grow to believe that God can do what you want him to do. But also, maybe you just need to realize that God doesn't expect you to have it together for you to come to him. He comes to me, he comes to us because we don't have it together. Amen? Boldly approach him. But there's a flip side to that. And here's the last point. Fervent prayer is humble. Come boldly. We don't come arrogantly. We don't come demanding that he meets. We come humbly. And let me just read for you. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. No need to turn there. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. We come to the Lord humbly. Verse 5 says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this isn't a call for us to only pray in private. That's not the point of this. If you walk away thinking, I don't have to stay. I can go home and just pray in my closet. The point of this is that don't pray so others hear you. Don't pray so others would be impressed with you. Don't pray to earn the approval of other men or other women. And I think sometimes people are too afraid to pray because they care too much about themselves. And Jesus is like, no, it's not the point. You're praying to me. You're not praying to other people. You're praying to me. Don't pray to try to impress. So therefore, we can come together and we can pray even if we stumble through it because it's not about us anyway. And to be honest, sometimes I love the prayer of a, like a, just a, genuine Christian who's just stumbling through and he doesn't even fully know what to say. There's something sweet about that sometimes. So if that's you, don't let that hinder you from coming and praying. 
Turn to Luke chapter 18 real quick here. Luke chapter 18. I remember preaching through this, and maybe you'll remember this as well. And Jesus, at, during this time, he's talking about the Pharisees and how they approach things and the arrogance that they carry. The Pharisees were people who thought they were awesome just because they thought they had it in on the law. They knew the law that, like the back of their hand. They thought they had this relationship with God, but really they were just religious and their hearts were far from the Lord. And Jesus is talking to others, and he says this in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Is that even a prayer? He's just like, hey, Jesus, look at my resume. Isn't it amazing? It's not even prayer. It's just him gloating about himself. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So you got one man who's coming, bringing his resume, and the other man is saying, I have no resume. I am, man, I am a sinner. I am, why am I even here? You see, one thing that keeps us from praying is our pride. And we think that we're better off. And so we get distracted when we look out and say, I don't believe like they do. Goodness gracious. You know, and the season that we're in and the hatred that I see even from the church concerns me. I, I, I praise God for this church. I honestly do because I feel like from what I can see, you know, the whole mask and COVID thing hasn't been a separate issue. COVID's real. We've had it. People are dying from COVID, but there's also a reality for me where I feel like, can we have some sense of normalcy where we can be together? Whenever I put that mask on, my, my head immediately goes down. I'm not against masks. I'm, I'm pro-safety, but there's also got to be some flexibility here. And it's like, what are, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to have masks or no masks? So thank you for your grace and your mercy in that. We pray for the safety of all. But let's just have grace for all, right? Grace for all. Let's be humble about it. In the political season, uh, have we ever been more separated as a country than we are now? Let that not be because of the church. Let us be the one that comes in the gap and is willing to have conversations with whoever wants to come and have a conversation instead of taking such a hard stance on one side where we have no ears to hear from the other person. When we take that kind of approach that hinders our prayers because we're putting ourselves as if we are better than others. God doesn't hear the prayers of those who are proud. And if we had time, we would go into Matthew 5, which talks about praying for your enemies. There's, there's, a, there's a sign of humility that we don't persecute. We don't hate those who are against us. We don't hate those who we consider enemies. We actually pray for them. So if we get a president that we don't want, we're not angry and spouting off. We're praying, God, lead them. Call them to yourself. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Fervent prayer is humble in the sense that when we come to God, it starts with humility. God, I confess I'm a sinner. Man, I am separated from you. 
if that's not part of your prayers, of your daily confession, then maybe you just don't understand God's holiness. And you certainly don't understand you, how you fall short from him. So as we finish up here, let me just talk through some more things. We've talked a little bit, but what does hinder our prayers? What are some things that hinder our prayers to the Lord? One thing may be it's because we have ongoing, unconfessed sin in our life. Are you living in sin and you're not willing to confess it? You're not willing to work through it? That's going to put a block between us and the Lord. We just read in James 5.16 to confess the sins to one another. That you may be healed. Isn't that amazing? Like you're struggling with, with habitual sin. Have you gone to any brothers or sisters in Christ? That's an act of humility and it also opens up the doors for prayer. It says the prayers of a righteous person has great power. So Aaron, Mark, myself, we would love to pray for you. We're not here for you to come confess sins and us to, what's wrong with you? Don't you understand who I am? I don't struggle with that stuff anymore. (laughs) It's not true at all. We're fellow strugglers with you. We're just like, we're beggars helping other beggars to find bread. Confess your sins. That might be hindering your prayers. Maybe we just don't know Jesus enough to who he is to know how to pray. And so our prayers are off. They're, they're based on things that aren't true. And we expect Jesus to be this genie to hand us whatever we want to. So we need to get to know this Jesus better, to understand that he is working everything for our good. And our good doesn't mean we get everything we ask for. Sometimes we have false expectations. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That doesn't mean we know what those things are. And so we humble ourselves before mighty God who is sovereign and in control under, over all things, understanding that we are dependent on him. And that whatever he does, we know that he's doing it for our good. And we don't always know what's best for us. So are any of those correlating with you this, this morning of why your prayer life may be stagnant? Could it be maybe that you don't even really have a relationship with the Lord? Maybe you have approached Jesus as this genie in a bottle that if I just say the magic words, if I put the quarters in the machine, I'll then get what I want out of it. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow after me. And if you're questioning your salvation this morning, you need someone to talk to, Aaron or myself, we'd love to spend some time with you. I'm not going to rush through that. We'd love to sit down and help you understand that. Could it be that you have unconfessed sin as we talked about? Or maybe you just need to get to know Jesus better to understand that he's working everything for our good. Fervent prayer is dependent. Fervent prayer is persistent. Fervent prayer is trusting. Fervent prayer is bold. And fervent prayer is humble. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, that even, even though we get all this wrong, even though sometimes our prayers are hindered, Lord, you still love those whom you've called. And we can humble ourselves this morning before you, and you graciously receive us through our repentance, Lord. God, I pray, I pray that you would make us a church that prays. A church that is bold, a church that is not afraid to bring any request, but also a church that's open-handed and humble, understanding that sometimes you allow hard things to come into our lives because like Paul, we need to be reminded that we need to not depend on ourselves but on you. And you are the God who raises the dead. There is nothing too hard for you. You are the creator of all things. We can trust in you knowing that you are preparing for us a place far better than our greatest moments here on earth. God, keep us. Keep us from putting all of our hope in this world. You've given us great hope of what to look forward to. And God, I thank you that you who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion. God, make us fervent prayers. Build our trust in you. Teach us more about who you are so that we trust you when we pray. We trust you when things are hard. We trust you when things don't go the way that we want them to. Don't let those things keep us from coming after you, Lord. Let us be persistent. And Lord, I just praise your name that you don't get annoyed with us like sometimes I do with kids who ask over and over again. You are a good, good father. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.